Hi, I'm Jayant Sriram and welcome to In Focus, the Hindu's analysis podcast. Thanks for joining us. This has been a news week dominated by the coronavirus and the worrying uptick of reported cases from India. We are very aware of that of course and we are working on bringing you a series of expert interviews that will help you make better sense of the news reports that you're reading every day or possibly every hour. In the middle of it all however another huge news story broke this week and that's the nomination to the Rajya Sabha of Ranjan Gogoi who retired as Chief Justice of India just 4 months ago. Now this is hugely controversial. The separation of powers between judiciary and executive is a sacred concept in our constitution as it is with the constitutions of democracies around the world. And the fact that Mr Gogoi has accepted this nomination so soon after his retirement has caused a fair amount of opprobrium. That's an understatement of course. You might have probably read a number of tweets about this already and possibly followed some very shrill debates on TV. So, we don't want to add to that collection of opinions. We will carry opinion pieces on this issue of course and we'll have an edit today and op-ed pieces in the days to come. But in this podcast we'll put this in a bit of historical context and look at the past instances of judges who have gone on to accept seats in parliament and the controversies associated with each case. We'll also look at the question of judges taking post-retirement positions in the first place and how that whole argument has played out down the years. A bit of a spoiler alert here. Mr Gogoi himself has expressed some opinions on this uh, that are not going to age very well. So I hope this episode gives you some clarity and some context and joining me today is our legal luminary associate editor K Venkatramanan. Okay so uh, KV as I mentioned in the intro this is an issue that's seen a lot of debate very shrill debate uh, both pe- uh, people on each side have very strong views on this. But um, just to give some context, there are two notable instances uh, that have been cited of Supreme, of Supreme Court judges being appointed to not just the Rajya Sabha, the Lok Sabha too. So th- those two cases, um, one is Ranganath Mishra, who was appointed by the Congress and the other is Baharul Islam, this is also a Congress appointee. So let's just start with those two first. Um, what can you tell us about the Ranganath Mishra case instance? See, the first thing that one can uh, say is that one impropriety does not justify another. Yeah. Uh, having said that, let's delve a little into the issue of uh, Justice Ranganath Mishra was Chief Justice, being you know made a Rajya Sabha member. Uh, the first point to be noted is that there was a seven-year gap between his demitting office as Chief Justice of India and being fielded as a candidate in the Rajya Sabha election. His tenure was na- in 1990-91. And uh, there was no Congress government at the time. Then in 1998, there was a considerable cooling off period. And thereafter, he was uh, uh, fielded as a Congress candidate. The distinction here is that the party fielded him as a candidate, whereas now the government of the day, that is through the president, has nominated him as an eminent person. Uh, to Parliament. It's an honour bestowed by the present regime on Justice Gogoi. Whereas in the case of Mr. Ranganath Mishra, it was just a party fielding a candidate. Having said that, 
one should not forget the fact that uh, as a sitting Supreme Court judge, Justice Ranganath Mishra had headed the Commission of Inquiry into the 1984 anti-Sikh riots. The Commission did make some recommendations about prosecuting a few individuals, but by and large the Commission gave a clean chit to the Congress party. It absolved the party of any responsibility as an organization for sponsoring or uh, you know, planning the riots. Uh, the fact that there is a direct correlation between the Commission's findings and the Congress party's attitude to him is quite obvious. It made him, uh, you know, uh, apart from being a Rajya Sabha member, he also held a few other, uh, you know, he also got a few assignments. He, for instance, he headed a national commission for, you know, going into the conditions of the socially and economically backward sections. And then he was made a chairman of the, he was, the, I think, the first chairman of the National Human Rights Commission. Uh, of course, on the other side, there are certain positions in the country which, by law, have to be occupied only by retired Supreme Court judges or in the case of the NHRC, only by a former Chief Justice. No right. other person can head the NHRC. So such posts can be exempted. But by and large, you can't discount the element of quid pro quo when a, a judge as the head of a commission of inquiry absolves a political party and that party fields him as a candidate. So it's not a good example, even though there was a considerable cooling of period of seven years. The case of Justice Barul Islam, of course, was far worse. It was, you should say, nothing short of scandalous. Uh, the first he was a serving uh, Rajya Sabha member when he was suddenly appointed as judge of the Guwahati High Court. At that time, I think it was called, yeah, it was Guwahati High Court. And then later, uh, after he was a judge for some years and uh, he retired as Chief Justice, and something unusual happened after long after his retirement, several months after his retirement, he was elevated to the Supreme Court. It, just, it normally never happens. Only serving High Court judges are elevated when they are of sufficient seniority. But he was directly he was appointed to the Supreme Court in 1980 or so. And once again, a couple of years later, or two or three years later, he resigned and contested an election in Assam. And uh, uh, that Lok Sabha election did not take place and he was accommodated in the Rajya Sabha. So he, in this case, there was a two-way movement. He went from the Rajya Sabha to the judiciary and from the judiciary he went to, the, uh, 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 went to parliament again. I mean, this, it's not a good example, mainly because it's, it, it looks as if, you know, there is a freewheeling free arrangement by which you can be a judge one day and a partyman. The other day. So there were many switches. Two switches. Two switches. Least, two switches. Uh, or, so he was serving parliamentarian when he became a high court judge and he was a serving judge when he became a parliamentarian. So it's almost like appointing an agent to the court. Yes. So that's a, so that's that's a particularly a, egregious that's example. That's an egregious case. Yes, exactly. Uh, and then again, you have on the positive side, you have eminent people like Justice Hidayatullah. Oh, and he had a blazing career. He was one of the youngest judges to be appointed to the High Court and then he was the youngest Chief Justice of High Court. He went to the Supreme Court. He retired as Chief Justice, but long years, some seven or eight years later, in 1979, I think he was by consensus selected as Vice President. Okay. And, and it was a non-Congress government then. Right. So, so he was appointed he as... He was appointed as Vice President by virtue of his eminence. 
the honor came to him rather than i mean no one could say that he it was a reward or anything because it was uh, by a, a short lived government and it was by consensus the election was through consensus right so he was appointed as vice president because of the seniority this eminence no basically his eminence in public life as as not only a jurist and a judge but also as a scholar and a writer i mean in a, if at all the nation wants to use the services of a retired chief justice it ought to be used in such a manner by consensus and not in a way that the public looks at it as a reward nobody look look back on his judgments to think whether they were tainted not at all right so i, I did hear some people particularly on tv making the same argument for uh, justice gogoi that he is appointed to the rajya sabha by by virtue of this yes being you know, a person of eminence yes there is no doubt that a retired chief, yeah, we take it that chief justices are people of eminence yeah and that is why they are considered but the proximity between the tenure and his appointment is quite dangerous it's quite alarming that you know it's as if you know he knew that within a few months he would be occupying a post offered by the government i mean if you think of it in that way that will color his entire tenure and you should you should, you should also not forget that uh, there were some make or break judgments for this government uh, for instance in rafal the personal reputation of the prime minister was involved in the case of ayodhya there is something that the present dispensation badly wanted to resolve so when there is a certain conformity between what the current regime expects and the outcome of a court proceeding it's natural that people will try to correlate these factors so judges ought to function in such a way that the judgments are not in hindsight colored by subsequent developments right so you mentioned the rafael uh, clean chit that was a big one uh, the ayodhya case of course big by historical proportions um any any others that just uh, as there were I, i would say that there were administrative decisions also because the for more than 2 years the challenge to the electoral bonds is pending and the court yeah. has not taken up so the chief justice as master drosta also has a duty in prioritizing or deprioritizing cases and when matters such as these you know are not taken up it just gives i mean the government immensely benefited by the non hearing of this case or in the uh delay in taking up habeas corpus matters after the lockdown in kashmir i mean these are all regardless of the outcome of these cases many of them are still all of them are still pending so regardless of the outcome the fact the delay itself is certainly relatable to the administrative actions of the chief justice so once again you know the, uh, people are bound to raise the question who benefits by this delay and there and by that they are able to they would be able to see a correlation this is what the judiciary should avoid because much of the problem concerning the judiciary is not directly related to the fact whether they are dependent or independent or whether they are beholden to the government of the day it is in the public perception if people start disbelieving the judiciary stop trusting the judiciary regardless of the truth or the fact of how independent they are the institution is still undermined okay we uh, spoke about at the start you mentioned that you know this is not a competition of impropriety um the two instances that we covered uh, by the congress those appointees that looked pretty bad um this i think it's fair to say looks pretty bad 
So let's just take this from another angle. Um, there is a long-running uh, debate. Many judges, politicians have made pronouncements on post-retirement appointments uh, for judges, including, as it happens, uh, Justice Gogoi. Um, so let's just try and detail that a bit, because, um, yeah. So let's 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 just start there. Okay. Basically, in uh, in a Indian political history since independence, the most consistent strand of political thought is that. The Congress was too entrenched and too authoritarian for many years and that the democratic institutions need to be freed from its clutches. This has been the dominant theme since the days of Indira Gandhi. Uh, this is what brought the socialists, the, uh, the right-wingers and the left parties at a common point for many years. The culmination of this was the Jayaprakash Narayan movement of the early 70s which culminated in the defeat of the Indira Gandhi regime after two years of emergency in 1977. At that time, the dominant you know, strand of thinking was that, that the Prime Minister, then Prime Minister Indira Gandhi wanted a committed judiciary, that she wanted to capture mass media, institutions of mass media and control them. And some of the objects of non-Congress politics then was to democratize these institutions. For instance, the Janata Party was the first to advocate uh, independence of Prasar Bharti or independent broadcasting in India. They were the ones who tried to move away from uh, favorites being appointed to the judiciary. So coming in the tradition, leaders like Arun Jaitley uh, and others, they have been talking about, they had been talking about the judges uh, not allowing the last days in office to be colored by the lure of a possible post-retirement assignment or appointment. And that is what dominated the debate on the NJEC also. In fact, I was going through the opinion of Justice Keher in the NJEC case. He extensively deals with the question whether the spoils of office are also an attraction to the judges. I mean, the whole NJAC Constitution Amendment and Act was struck down on the ground that it compromised the independence of the judiciary. The underlying theme was that, that the judiciary should be independent at the appointment stage itself of the influence of the executive. In fact, throughout the judgments, he uses it as the term he uses, not the executive, but the political executive. It repeatedly emphasizes the fact that there is the executive is politically controlled and uh, the judges have to be very mindful of that. So any anybody who believes in the independence of the judiciary would also make it a you know a cardinal virtue not to accept a job after demitting office as a judge. And that debate is you know uh, uh, Justice Chalameshwar, the former Chief Justice Aram Loda, and Justice Kurian Joseph. I think just Madan Lokul also. Many of them have made the point that they will not accept any post-retirement jobs. Uh, as I pointed out earlier, there are some statutory roles that retired judges have to play. Increasingly, you know, legislation says that only a, one who has or is a judge of a Supreme Court or a High Court or one who has been a Chief Justice ought to be, you know, the chairman of this commission or the, like, the Human Rights Commission or now the Lokpal is another office where only judges are allowed to hit them. And uh, yes, barring these statutory offices, the temptation 
to get a post-retirement assignment should not influence a serving judge, especially in his last days. One of the another point made was judges with shorter tenures typically tend to favor the executive. Right. Yeah. Um, they, are, they have only a couple of years in office and the only thing that they can do is curry favor so that soon after retirement they get some additional They work. get a post-retirement post job. Um, so the, the one other notable uh, sort of Chief Justice retiring and being appointed to something um, outside is uh, Justice Sadashivam, who was yes. appointed uh, governor. Um, did any of these justices have anything to say about that? Uh, I think there are, sorry, a few of them did comment. I think Justice Lodha also disapproved of the uh, development. He, it was in that context, he said judges should uh, avoid taking up any assignment after retirement from the government. Um, he was appointed as governor of Kerala. And uh, that did attack some criticism. Of, uh, one of the reasons was that he was uh, uh, head of the bench that absolved uh, Amit Shah. Yeah. In, in one of the cases against him in Gujarat. So it is possible to say that the two are independent of each other. But the public mind will certainly make that correlation. Okay. So the one thing, I mean, it does seem like given that this is a long tradition, as you said, there's almost some sort of virtue signaling here that if you're a senior judge, you must make a comment about post-retirement, post things being bad. It seems that this is what happened with Justice Gogoi himself, just to quote that um, in March 2019, he was uh, in one of his judgments, he says, um, there is a valid strong viewpoint that the post-retirement appointment of judges in tribunals is a scar on the independence of the judiciary. Now, I'm guessing that he's going to argue that he meant only tribunals, though one could also say that the debate largely concerns the appointment of judges to retired judges to tribunals. So Yes, I think tribunals, you know, that's a way out for many retired judges uh, because it's a, it's a way in which the trappings of office will continue without there being a, a judge in a constitutional sense. Uh, it is a natural assignment for a judge who is retired. So the tribunalization of the judiciary is something that the Supreme Court has been, you know, uh, worried about for long. They do say that you know the attempt to, I mean, they are making the members of tribunals beholden to the executive both for the tenure and now for their appointment is something that should be strongly discouraged. In that trend, yes. Given that trend, it is right that people may, you know, make such remarks. Whether it amounts to much of signaling is, is probably will vary from case to case. But it is a problem that we all have to live with. The potential of a judge being appointed as a tribunal chairman after his retirement is always there. Okay. For instance, the present chairman of the National Green Tribunal, uh, Justice A.K. Goel was uh, appointed to that office the day after his retirement. Right. Um, so just p perhaps one good place to uh, to end is that people have now brought up this concept of uh, cooling off period. No such provision exists, of course, for retired judges. As you said, somebody was appointed the day after they retired. Uh, but now I think given what's happened with Justice Gogoi, that those calls are going to increase. Just. Uh, just throwing it out there, in, it, could there be some sort of legal challenge to this that could bring up this concept? It's highly unlikely. The, I mean, it may not even be maintainable because uh, this uh, the objections are based on perception. 
they are not based on law as actually it's a, it's a certain moral principle that is being raised here so it's not a legal or constitutional principle that a retired judge should not be appointed uh, as a member of the rajya sabha or even given any sort of office or assignment that uh, appears to be a reward so it's not possible constitutionally because by definition this goes to people of eminence and it's very difficult to sustain an argument in the court that a retired chief justice is not a person of eminence okay right um kb thanks we'll we'll leave it there um illuminating as always um thank you for joining us we will speak to you soon thank you.